0: Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Um, so starting in the Old Testament, we're starting in uh, reading Psalm 133. Um, so Psalm 133. <clears throat> Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. On the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The second New Testament reading today is coming from 1 Corinthians, um, where our sermon series from. So that's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, 1 through 17. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of the Christ Jesus, and our brothers Sosthanos. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, call to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there is no divisions among you, but that you have been united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas," or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one... Whoop, sorry. (laughs) That was my alarm. (laughs) Um, Where were we? (laughs) Um, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name I did baptize into the household of Stephanus beyond that I did not know whether I baptized anyone else for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power Amen
1: Well good morning again uh, please if you were tempted to, to shut down your phone at 1 Corinthians chapter one or thereabouts please open it up again or, or open up your Bible uh, as we continue in our series through first uh, Corinthians uh, can I again say welcome to church if you are sort of new or newish to us we would love to get to know you if you're, you are know if, if one of the things you're keen to do is kind of connecting with a new church family we'd love for you to connect uh, and, and, ch- and check us out, I guess. And one way you can do that is to complete one of these little forms. Uh, it's just a, it's a connect card, um, some various details. We're not gonna sell your information to another party. Uh, we just wanna get to know you and work out how can we help you take the next step, whether that's more, you wanna know more about Jesus, you wanna know more about our church. Uh, you can fill that in. You can drop it into the prayer box at the back door as you head out. Um, that would be just a great thing to do um, if you can. Uh, we are in first corinthians uh we are up to week two we started our series in first corinthians last week we're up to the the second installment and uh, as we come to god's word this morning how about we pray let's pray Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We praise you that it is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating to soul and joint and marrow. And we pray, Lord, this morning as we think about your word and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray, Father, that you would uh, reveal things to us that we haven't seen before or we don't even know about ourselves. Uh, Father, please uh, reveal that. um, Father, that we might be able to become more like Jesus, we pray. Uh, So, Father, by your word and through your spirit, Uh, May we see, hear, and love Jesus this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A divided party cannot unite a divided nation. A divided party cannot unite a divided nation. That was said by the UK Home Secretary last year, and I think it was in the midst of all the sort of, you know, the Brexit ructions and things like that, whether it was going to happen. Uh, a A divided party cannot unite A divided nation, a nation where there is division, where there is disunity, everything kind of grinds to a halt, doesn't it? It's hard to get anything done. Uh, It's true in politics. I'm not a politician, right? But it seems evident to me when I look around and see the way our politicians kind of operate at times. A divided party kind of struggles to get kind of anything done. Uh, It's true at work. I don't know where there's divisions and disunity and disquiet at work. It feels like it's just hard to get stuff done. It's true at home. Um, Disunity in homes, well, isn't just like you can't get stuff done. It can just be really miserable. Uh, Disunity, uh, division. And probably there's nothing more damaging than division or a lack of unity in a church. It can be really damaging. Um, mostly in churches, right, division or a lack of unity comes not around necessarily sort of theological issues, although it can do at times. It's not usually about theology. It's normally over kind of personality or style. That's where divisions kind of come in churches. And it can be exhausting. It can be exhausting. You've been in a church that's kind of in that. It can be just really hard, tiring. And maybe if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're not yet a Christian... Maybe divisions you've experienced or divisions you've witnessed from a little way off is one of the reasons why you just don't really want to get involved in this church thing because it's, I already sense that it's going to be exhausting and really hard, so why would I bother? A divided party cannot unite a divided nation. Last week, we started in our journey through 1 Corinthians. Um, Here's a picture, I think, of Corinth. There you go. I decided the first one we showed last week was rubbish. Uh, This one's a little bit better. Uh, There you go. That's a picture of kind of ancient... Mediterranean Sea back in the first century. Uh, Corinth circled around there near the city of Athens. Um, you know, to the, what is that, to the, the west of Jerusalem and Antioch, where a lot of the early action in the church kind of happened. Um, this church got planted by the Apostle Paul um, early on. Uh, Paul went there, preached the good news of Jesus, and a church miraculously kind of got established. People came to know Jesus, and a church got established. Established. The issue we looked at last week was that the church in Corinth in the first century had become very much like the world around them. Uh, It sort of blended in, began to disappear, sort of started off distinct and captured by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as time went on, it just sort of began to look a whole lot like the culture around them. They weren't as Christians, right? We're not set apart. I said this last week. Last week to 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 deliberately be weird in the world. But the fact that we follow a crucified, risen saviour is naturally going to make us look a bit different to the rest of the world around us. Uh, Last week, we thought a bit about what Corinth was like, and Corinth was like this. It was successful. If you wanted to make it in the world, you'd go to Corinth. Uh, It was a city that was sex-obsessed. Anything goes in Corinth. You can do whatever you want with your body. And thirdly, it was a spiritual city. I said last week, you know, if you woke up and on your way to work, you'd, you'd kind of get into a bit of transcendental meditation on the way to work. And at lunchtime, you'd have your chakra read. And on the way home, before you had your meat and three veg, you know, for dinner, you'd go to the temple prostitutes and worship God in that sort of way. Anything went. It was a successful, sex-obsessed, spiritual city. I likened it to Melbourne. Yeah, that's what I did last week. I know, Izzy, you're from Melbourne. But anyway, um, let's not look at Izzy. But um, it was like that. You know, it was the place to be. If you're a new grad, you've just stepped out of engineering, where am I going to get that new grad job? I'm going to go to Corinth or Melbourne. Um, Successful, sex-obsessed, spiritual. The church at Corinth, although they'd come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, his grace, they'd become a whole lot like the world around them. And so Paul writes to this church to say, I've got some things to say to you. And in many ways, Paul's actually responding to some letters that had been sent to him already that he's kind of picking up on these issues. He's been alerted to this. And the first big issue that Paul confronts as this letter kind of gets going, it's 16 chapters long, the first issue he confronts is division. Paul says, don't divide over small issues. Avoid division over human leadership. Don't divide into factions and cliques. He says, unite around the cross of Christ. That's what he does. And three points today, Um, these are the three points. Paul makes an appeal, the big issue, and then thirdly, what's the antidote? So Paul makes this big appeal, he identifies the issue, and then he provides the antidote. So come with me, the first one, the appeal. And the appeal is this, no division. No division. Verse 10, have a look with me, let me read it. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. It's a simple appeal. No division. Don't divide. The word division there in the original language is is like um, to, to rip or to tear fabric. That's what he's saying. Don't do that, don't tear apart. And he's not talking about small issues here. Um, Paul is, is highlighting, he urges people, the people at Corinth to agree in all that they say so as to avoid tearing at the fabric of the church. And I think he's actually saying, um, I want you to agree on the message of the cross, the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, people at Corinth were very articulate. They could speak really well. They could hold the attention of a crowd. But the reality is that the church at Corinth, the members there, were using their speaking gifts to divide. So rather than using their speech and their gifts to kind of build up the church and unite the church, well, they were forming little cliques and gangs which were sort of tearing at the seams of the church. Yet Paul calls for deep unity around the cross. Not around, you know, like a political party line, you know, make America great again, whatever that one was. Is that right? I don't know. Um, you know, or um, a tweet, you know, a little political whip or a nice pithy vision, but uniting around core things. He says, be perfectly united in mind and thought. And the language of appeal there, right? It's not just, oh, here's a nice idea. Wouldn't it be nice to aspire to being unified? It's not that. It's, it's No, Paul pleads with them. Do you see that? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ who gave you all these amazing gifts. He urges them now to use those gifts to work towards unity. And it just shows how serious the issue of division is. But not just Paul says it, but in the name of the risen Lord Jesus Come together. Now, what I love here, again, is that Paul doesn't scold them. He's not like a you know, nasty headmaster or something like that. He's, he doesn't scold them. Here, again, he says, brothers and sisters, as other members of the family of God's people, he gets alongside them, you know, kind of puts his arm around them, basically, and says this, brothers and sisters. You see, there's a family bond between Paul and the church. Family bond, family united. Unity is not just a desirable thing. It's essential to who they are, who they've become in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters are family. Now, of course, right, there will be differences of opinion. You know, that's, that's normal. Um, but there is to be unity at the heart of the church. It's normal, isn't it, like for a political party at times to have divisions, or maybe all the time to have divisions within its party and that sort of stuff, and you can usually get away with that. But a family, right, that's what we're talking about here. Family, when there is disunity in a family, it's miserable. It's miserable. And it's that serious when there is division within a church. We're going to look at the specific issue that was kind of causing the division but for now, it's worth just like noting how seriously God takes division in the church. It's not trivial, it's not secondary. I mean, there are loads of problems at this church in Corinth in back in AD 55, loads of problems. Problems to do with their lifestyle, problems to do with the teaching, problems to do with how they organised their church gatherings, problems to do with how they were using their bodies and things like that in the local context. But the first, loads of problems, but the first issue that Paul talks about is division. And I wonder, do we take division this seriously? I'm, I'm thankful, actually I'm really thankful for the unity that we have here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Um, I, I don't think we're like the Corinthian church of the first century to the same extent. But I wonder, do we take our unity for granted? It could be a bit soft on it at times. You know, often it can just start out at like a small thing, and, and then we can let that kind of get between us, and it can grow and fester and become really problematic. You know, and know in a church of our size, right? Um, when you disagree with someone, I'm not saying you have to put your hand up and say, "Yes, I've got a disagreement with someone right now." No, but if you have a disagreement with someone in a church of our size, um, what do you do? Do you ignore them? You know, do you sort of avoid them on Sunday? I don't know, you see them standing at that back door over there and you go, well, I'm just going to go through the other door, hope they don't see me, sit on this side. Is that what you do? Simply kind of not deal with it, sweep it under the carpet. That might be okay to do in your workplace, right, where you can sort of get away with it, you can just hide and get on with your own little project and sort of, you know, off you go. But not in God's family. Unity matters. We're not to be casual about unity and division. Our unity matters, so we shouldn't be content where there is any division among us. That's the first thing. Paul appeals for unity at Corinth, unity among God's people. So no division. Secondly, Paul addresses the big issue. The big issue is this, elevation of human personalities. Elevation of human personalities. Have a look with me, verse 11 and 12 of the opening chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes, "'My brothers and sisters,' Some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. So Paul's got wind that there is a problem. There's some division going on, and the nature of the division is that there's quarreling among the church at Corinth. It's so serious, straight up, he won't avoid it. He won't let it go. The issue is that factions and cliques have formed around different leaders that the church has had. It would seem that members of the church had their little faves, right? The little favourite leaders. It was getting in the way of unity, it's kind of a common human experience, isn't it, to kind of, you know, sort of morph into little human, like cliques and groups and things like that, I don't know, schoolyard, think back to your school days, maybe that's traumatic for you, to think back to your school days, but, you know, you sort of, someone comes up to you, like, whose gang are you in? Uh, I mean, you know, Jim's gang, can't come into our fort, you know, like all that sort of stuff. There's, there's cliques at work, right, the people, that cl- people at work, you sort of, you know, sort of, you know, idle up and love the boss and sort of get involved, you know, that's the stuff. There's I don't, know. I don't know, Adelaide doesn't really have gangs, do we? We don't really have gangs. I haven't heard of gangs in Adelaide, really. But some cities do have them. We used to have bikey gangs here in Adelaide. That caused a bit of a furor for a while. It's, it's a natural human experience, isn't it, that we sort of morph into little groups and cliques. And the church is no different especially in a place like Corinth, where they loved those who were successful. They loved the entertaining, good-looking public speakers, the speakers who could hold the attention of the crowd, amaze people with their wits and their intellect and their skill. And it's common, isn't it, in culture to get behind kind of charismatic, interesting public figures. You can imagine, right? Let me take you back to AD 55 in Corinth, first century. Imagine how this began in the Corinthian church. So, right, so in this church, right, brand new church, quite a young church, there was still the old guard. You know, those who'd been around the longest in the church. Those were converted right at the very beginning. They were on Team Paul. Team Apostle Paul. Paul had been the founder of the church, brought the gospel message to Corinth, through whom many had come to believe. It was really his church. He was the original, and the original is always the best, right? So, you know, I follow Paul. Others thought that group was a little bit old-fashioned, right? Some were a bit more forward-thinking, a bit more progressive. They liked Apollos. Um, I follow Apollos, they said. They loved his cutting-edge, kind of cool preaching. Back in Acts chapter 18, right, we meet Apollos, um, and and he was a learned man. He knew the Bible really well, um, and he spoke with fervor and passion. And if you liked passionate, engaging, preaching, well, Apollos, he was your man. I follow Apollos. I mean, it's much more compelling than Paul. Paul's a little bit dull. You know, we're not going to follow him. Then there were the others for whom Apollos was fine, but he he wasn't as well-known as some, right? Apollos was a big name in Corinth, but he wasn't really known outside of Corinth. You see, if you wanted a big name to follow, a man with real influence, then you say, I follow Cephas, Peter, the apostle. I mean, he was the one with the Jerusalem connections. He was there with Jesus Christ. All the other leaders listened to Peter. He was really influential. I follow Cephas. Now, these teams, right, these cliques had formed not because of theological differences, right? They were all gospel men teaching the same message, teaching the truth, teaching the gospel. And it wasn't like they'd set up the teams, right? They didn't want to be raised up in that way. They'd be horrified at the idea, just like Paul is here. So it was all about personality and preference, other people raising up, elevating these personalities, And I guess you can understand that to some extent, right? Groups with their favourite leader. But why does Paul then say, some say, I follow Christ? I mean, isn't that what everyone should be saying? Why does he say that? Well, yes, they should be saying that, but there was still even a group at the church at Corinth, right, who were using that the name of Christ as a way of setting themselves apart from other people, excluding others. You know, we're the truly spiritual ones. We follow Christ, the ultimate trump card. Right? Whilst everyone else is arguing, we're on another level spiritually. But actually, they were just using the name of Jesus to divide, rip apart the church. I don't know about you, right? But this all sounds pretty childish to me, right? A little bit like you know a playground feud. You know, whose gang are you in? Oh, I'm in that gang. Whose gang are you in? But there are ways that this sort of, I guess, the cult of personality can be alive and well even in the church today. I think we're potentially in danger as Christians who live in Adelaide, Christians who live in the West, in a culture that is based on sort of success and personality, where big companies are led by charismatic CEOs. We can imbibe that as a church. We can take the values of the world and draw them into the church. You know, there are the big names, the big successful people with the big successful churches and influential ministries. Now, they may not be promoting themselves as the ones to follow, but we are attracted to them. And I wonder, here's a little diagnostic thing, right? How often do we hear churches described as, oh, that's so-and-so's church? Do You ever hear that? Oh, that's so-and-so's church. Oh, City Light, that's Don Redden's church. Oh, yes, City Light, that's Tyler Shedd's church. That's no one ever says it's Simon Jackson's church, by the way. That's, that, that never happens. But we do that, don't we? Maybe it's going to be Sam Gersadis' church. I don't know, but never me. We don't do that. We, we, don't do, we do that, don't we? And at one level, it's harmless. It's absolutely harmless. But in another way, it does sort of expose a little bit about what we think about church. I guess it's okay. It's okay to give thanks to God for those ministries and leaders who've had an impact on us. It's right to thank God for those who, who led us to Christ, who led us in youth group, who, who um, preached for us, who read the Bible one to one to us for many, many, many years and had a real impact on us. But it's not okay if that becomes a means of excluding other people. Oh, you haven't been there. Oh, you haven't read them. Oh. Most of us wouldn't set out to form little factions, but that is where it can end up quite quickly. Maybe a careless comment or opinion that we perhaps are better off not expressing. Here's an example. And here is how it might begin here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Um, let's say you know, you're chatting to a member um, of your DG over a cup of coffee just before the gathering starts, and you say, oh, I wonder who's leading DG this week? I wonder who's leading DG? I really hope it's Sarah. We don't have a Sarah in the church, by the way, but, you know, like, I really, I really hope it's Sarah because Sarah's so clear. She's so helpful. Love the questions that Sarah asks. She's heaps better than John. John's so dull. And his questions, I, I never understand his questions. And the person you're talking to says, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I know I know exactly what you're saying. You're right. Sarah is heaps better than John. And without thinking about it, you, like a little faction's begun, right? And so when you, you, know, you go to DG that week, and guess who's leading? John. John's leading, and, and you catch each other's eyes, and you go, and you roll your eyes, you know, it's John. Or, you know, Sarah's leading, and you give a little, like, yeah, it's going to be a good one, you know, yeah, a bit of a grin. And then the other members of the group kind of notice what's going on, and they're like, Whoa. like they're not saying anything at the time. They go, there's something going on here. They don't know the inside joke. What starts out fairly innocently, right, can become damaging to the group dynamic, and then that can just sort of spill out across the church. Why is it such a big deal? Does it really matter? This all sounds so harmless. Everyone has their favourite. Everyone has a little gang. Well, these things cause little tears, little rips in the fabric of a church, See, to elevate human leaders is to deny something that is very much at the heart of the gospel. There is only one leader, one Lord and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's none of the people that we like to follow. That's why Paul asks in verse 13, is Christ divided? And the answer is no. The whole church at Corinth, we know that. That's, you know, no, he's not. But by dividing into little factions, little teams, it's like they're chopping Jesus up into little pieces. Paul says, that's nuts, that's crazy. Jesus is not divided. Don't do that. That's the big issue an elevation of human personalities. What are they then to do about it? What is the antidote? Well, the antidote is the cross. It's the cross. Unite around the cross of Christ. Have a look at me, verse 13 through to 17, the end of the text we're looking at today. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Oh yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power Paul right here zooms in right on the group that's claiming to follow him you know the, the team Paul I follow Paul crew and he shows them just how foolish they are to do that was Paul crucified for you well no obviously they know that. Was it Paul who was willing to give his life to pay the price for their sins and for your sins? No. Was it Paul who bore the father's wrath so that you could be forgiven and welcomed into his family? They get it. They know that. But in forming the I follow Paul team, they're letting Paul take the place of Christ. Now, none of them would have said they were actually doing that. But in reality, that's kind of what they're doing. And Paul says, it's nuts. Only Jesus Christ was crucified for you. Don't let anyone take his place. Paul asked them another question. Were you baptised into Paul? Was it Paul who washes away your sins? Is being united to Paul what makes you part of God's family? Well, no. But by elevating Paul to the point where only his ministry matters, they are letting him take the place of Christ. I love it. Paul's like, he's just delights in the fact that he only kind of baptised a bunch of them so that they can't use that as a way of sort of claiming some sort of special privilege to the exclusion of others. Only Jesus can wash away your sins and welcome you in. So don't start to draw lines where there shouldn't be any lines. Now I'm guessing, right, that none of us would claim that someone else had been crucified for our sins other than Jesus. We're not about to say that we're baptised into somebody else's name, but we can functionally, right, in some ways operate day-to-day where we can let others kind of take the place of Christ that only he should have. We can draw lines. There are those who are inside and those who are outside. You know, what does that look like? Well, some might say, right, well, I've, you know, I've sat under a certain kind of teaching ministry um, I used to hear Jeff Lynn preach for three hours at Adelaide University on MYC's, you know, day after day after day. I've sat under his ministry. Or I've heard every Tim Keller sermon and every John Piper sermon twice. And I've also read every of Tim Keller's books that he's ever written. You know, therefore I am sort of some kind of special kind of Christian. Whatever it is. Those, are, I mean, they're all good things, right? Love Jeff Lynn, love Tim Keller, love John Piper. By all means, we should thank God for the ministries and the impact that they've had on our lives, and there are many others, but don't let any individual take the place of Christ in your affections. And don't think just because you've had certain privileges or experience that that makes you somehow superior. Don't use that as a way of excluding others. You see, when and where we wrongly elevate human personalities, we are lessening the power and the work of Christ. We're emptying the cross of its power, Paul would say. If that's, if that's even possible, actually. We're kind of making the cross less. We're making it smaller. As if that wasn't the thing that actually saves us, that the cross isn't enough. That's why the antidote to these divisions is not an elevation of human personalities, but an elevation of Christ and his cross. That's why Paul is so keen to remind the Corinthians that Christ sent him not to baptize, but to preach, to proclaim with his mouth the good news that Jesus has come from riches to rags to rescue ratbags like us and bring us by grace into his family. You see, Paul is just the messenger. It's not the messenger who brings the power. We often say, don't we? Don't shoot the messenger. We say that, you know, when you sort of you've got to dodgy message to say and you said, like, don't shoot me like it's just I'm just passing it on don't shoot the messenger but don't elevate the messenger either that's the message here Paul says verse 17 that he didn't preach with eloquence or wisdom or some brilliant strategy that he had he said it was all God's power it was the power of the cross to save sinners so to cause division over which messenger you prefer is to shift the focus away from Jesus and his work onto one of these characters. It denies the power of the cross to save us. The danger is we get captivated by the, the way the person presents rather than what the person's presenting, the good news of Jesus, that we bring nothing to the cross but our sin and God replaces our sin with the beautiful life of Jesus so that we can, through faith in him, have life forever denies the power of the cross to save us. Imagine a bit like this. I don't know. Imagine, imagine you, know, you hear the postie coming down the road, you know, on his little sort of postie bike. or you know, It's all environmentally friendly now, so like on his push bike. But you hear him coming down and the, you hear the postie come and you, you, you go out to meet him and he drops a letter in your mail and inside you open it up and there's a check. You know what a check is? I did, I did mention a check some years ago and someone came up to me and said, I have no idea what they are. I'm like, wow, I'm really old. No, um, a cheque is like a, we don't use them anymore, a cheque is like an old little piece of paper um, which the bank would issue you and you could write an amount on it and you could give it to someone. They could cash it in and, you know, however much money it is, they'd end up in your bank account. Um, Does anyone understand? That's good, great. Um, So the the postie comes down the street, drops the letter in your mail, you open up, there's this great big cheque in the mail, right? It's huge, not a huge big cheque, but the number on it is massive. And you go, oh my gosh, This is incredible. Like, a check has just landed in my mailbox, and it is enormous. Now, you wouldn't, in that situation, right, run down the street to catch the postie who dropped off the check and shower the postie with praise, would you? You wouldn't do that. Oh, you're such a wonderful postie. Oh, you changed my life forever. Once I was poor, but now I'm rich. Oh, all other posties are nothing compared to you because of you and your glory. You'd never do that. Now, that'd be stupid. You might, you might thank him. Man, thanks for dropping it off. That was really great. Um, but all the praise, yeah, is for the one who sent the check to you, yes? They've changed your life, not the messenger who brought it. So don't elevate anyone to the position that only Christ has. They'll only let you down and it'll only cause division within the church. See, no human personality can bear the weight, but Christ can. No human can unite all people from all different backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, tongue, language, people group. Yes, but Christ can. The reason that the cross is the antidote to these factions that are forming is that at the cross, everyone is equal. There is no one who gets a head start. No one is above anyone else. At the cross, all of us are sinners in need of a saviour. Pretty sure that was a quote from the late, great Billy Graham or something along those lines. At the cross, all of us are sinners in need of a savior. Instead of chasing after human leaders and forming little teams, remember Christ, remember the cross, remember his death in your place. The more we make of Jesus, the less we'll make of human leaders. The more we love Jesus the more we will be united to one another we're about to share in the lord's supper together as a church which is essentially a family meal of unity the bread and the juice i didn't put a sign up today by the way but the bread is gluten free and the juice is grape juice my son sebastian said he was pouring it goes tastes like wine I'm like, you haven't tasted wine before. But anyway, it's it's grape juice. And nor should he, right? He's six years old. But anyway, um, this is is the family meal of unity. It's striking as you read the New Testament. um, There are um, two things, according to the New Testament, that prevent you from sharing in this meal. Two things. The first is that you've not yet placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You haven't come to know his grace, you haven't realised that you're bankrupt and in need of forgiveness, and you're not not yet part of God's family. That's the first reason why you're sort of, you're almost prevented from sharing in this meal. But if you're here today and that is you, I long for the day when you can share in the meal with us. But The second is that there is division between you and a brother or sister in the family of God's people here at North. You might be in the family, but if you are out of relationship, um, there's division, there's disunity between you and another, then that's actually a reason to not partake in the meal. That's how serious division is in the church. So when you come to the Lord's table in a minute, um, come because you firstly put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you do trust in the cross of Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. But also come to express your unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. As you come up, right next to Izzy there is a beautifully displayed hand sanitizer on a chair. As you come up and come past that and pump some hand sanitizer in your hand before you come to the table, I want you to stop there and look around at, at the faces and the people whom God has brought together by his grace into this family of God's people. And if you're here today as a visitor, welcome. You're welcome to the Lord's table. Come to express unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But let me say this. If there is division between you and a brother or sister in Christ here at City Light Church North Adelaide, then maybe you don't come today. Use the time, as others are coming up and the music's playing, use the time to pray. Maybe repent of the wrong that you've done. We ask God to, to heal the division And ask God to to help you identify the things that maybe you need to do to restore that relationship with that person. That'd be a really good thing to do today. This is the family meal of unity because it's the Lord's Supper. It is in Christ that we are saved. Let me lead us in a short prayer and then I want to invite invite the band up now um, and as the band comes up I'll pray and then I want to invite you to come to the Lord's table today. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, it's really easy to find reasons to divide. Uh, Father, easy to find uh, ways to set ourselves apart, to exclude others. And Father, we realise today that we are um, quite quick to elevate leaders, to trust in them more than we trust in you. Father, we thank you for your word that exposes the foolishness of our ways. Father, we thank you this morning that Christ died for us and that he is not divided. Strengthen us by your spirit. Father, this morning and as we share this meal and as we've heard your word, strengthen us by your spirit to live out the unity that the Lord Jesus has won for us. And we praise you that the cross is sufficient to save sinners like us from all different backgrounds. And so, Lord, as we share this meal together, may we express not only the unity that we have with you, but the unity that we have with each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church/north Adelaide.